Chair, staff is ready when you are. Great, thank you. Uh, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Thursday, February 16th, 2023 Active Transportation Commission. The meeting is now called to order. Will the clerk please call the roll and establish a quorum? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute and turn on your video. Commissioner Brazel. is absent. Commissioner Buenrostro. Here. Commissioner Gibson. Here. Commissioner Granville. Here. Commissioner Harris. Here. Commissioner Hodel. Here. Commissioner Hooped. Here. Commissioner Rowe? Here. Chair Doer Westbrook? Here. Thank you. We have a quorum. Fantastic. All right. Uh, this meeting is virtual via Zoom, uh, as you probably assumed. <laughs> for members of the public who wish to join, please refer to the agenda for the Zoom link. And once you have joined the meeting and wish to speak, use the raise your hand function to provide public comment when the chair confirms the public comment speaking period for your desired item. If you're online, click on raise your hand on the bottom of the screen. In the mobile app, you can raise your hand by tapping the raise your hand option in the more tab. And if you're calling in via telephone, to raise your hand, dial star nine, then to unmute, dial star six. Speakers will be called on by the last four digits of their phone number. Uh, and you will have three minutes to speak once you are called on. We'll now proceed with today's agenda. Please rise for the opening acknowledgements in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. I'm gonna try to stand and see my <laughs> script. <laughs> All right. To the original people of this land, the Nisenan people, the Southern Maidu, Valley, Valley Plains, and Miwok, Patlanwintu peoples, and the peoples of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe, may we honor, may we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you. And remain standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. <clears throat> Very much looking forward to our in-person meetings <laughs> when we don't have to make so adjustments, so many adjustments with cameras and, and computer screens. Okay, so our first business today is approval of the 
consent calendar. Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on the consent calendar? Thank you, Chair. I have no speakers with their hands raised. Thank you. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak? Okay. I move approval of the minutes. Sounds good. Thank you, Commissioner Hopped. Do I have a second? Second. Thank you, Commissioner Glenn Rostro. So I have a motion by Commissioner Hopped and a second by Commissioner Glenn Rostro. Will the clerk please call the roll for a vote? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute and turn on your video for roll call vote. Commissioner Brazel is absent. Uh, Commissioner Buen Rostro? Aye. Commissioner Granville? Aye. Commissioner Gibson? Aye. Commissioner Harris? Aye. Commissioner Hodel? Hodel. Aye. Commissioner Hooped? Aye. Commissioner Rowe? Aye. Chair Doer Westbrook? Aye. Thank you, the motion passes. Thanks. All right, we will now proceed to today's discussion calendar. Um, item three is the commission's staff report. Is there a staff presentation? Chair Duo Westbrook, yes, there is. Jennifer Donlin Wyatt, Transportation Planning Manager. I'm happy to give you my oral staff report this month. Uh, we have a number of major active transportation projects, either in construction or about to go to construction. So I wanted to update you all on that. Um, the downtown mobility project, I think you all remember that, that includes separated bikeways on 19th and 21st, the extensions of the separated park bikeways on P and Q from 15th all the way through to 21st. It includes um, a mostly separated bike lane on I Street from 21st to 13th um, and includes the two-way conversion of 5th Street from one-way to two-way with bike lanes. Uh, the downtown mobility project is expected to start this spring and wrap up by the end of the calendar year. Also currently under construction is the Del Rio Trail. Uh, I don't have an estimated timeline for that. It is quite an extensive project, but we're looking forward to that one, which is nearly five miles of off-street shared use path. The Del Paso Boulevard uh, lane reduction and school safety improvements, which is up in North Sacramento. Um, that had most of the construction done. We're still waiting on some materials to be delivered. As you know, uh, construction materials have unexpected timelines for delivery lately. The Broadway Complete Streets project, which is um, Broadway just south of downtown, that is expected to go into construction this spring. And again, wrap up construction by the end of the calendar year. Uh, so those are the major projects that are moving forward. So expect a lot of delays um, if you're moving around and there might be you know, a detours, um, but we'll see uh, significant increases in um, active transportation infrastructure. 
The other thing I wanted to remind everybody about is that we do have a, um, a small amount of money every year to uh, put bicycle detection at traffic signals that do not detect bicycles. Um, so if you come across an intersection, and this is both for commission and for the public, that doesn't detect uh, a bicyclist, please let us know. You can either send it in through 301, email me, or let us know through this commission, and we'll add it to our list. Um, and then last but not least, we have three new commissioners this month. Um, and so I wanted to give each an opportunity for a minute or two to introduce themselves, um, their interests in active transportation, and how they came to be on the commission. So I want to start with introductions by where they are in the boxes on my screen, because it's easier that way. And so first, I'll go to Commissioner Rowe. Hi, everyone. Uh, yes, my name is Eunice Rowe. Um, I am representing District 5 on this commission. I am really looking forward to serving on this commission because I am a um, daily cyclist and pedestrian in my day-to-day -day life. Um, I think walking and biking is one of the big potentials of our city. And I think Sacramento has the potential to be a world-class biking and walking city. Um, and so I would like to, you know, advocate on behalf of the, the walkers and bikers of my district um, and, you know, support that potential to the extent possible. So thank you. Wonderful. Thank you, Commissioner Rowe. Commissioner Gibson. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Don Gibson. I go by he, him. Um, I'm here representing uh, the third district, which is um, uh, South Natomas. Um, a lot of our neighborhoods are really hostile to bike and pedestrian options. I've lived in the Willow Creek River Oaks neighborhood now for about uh, 10 years now. And um, I regularly go on a lot of walks with my dog, my now two-month-old baby and my wife. Um, and um, for us to have safe bike and ped, it's um, really limited over here, even though Sacramento is a flat city with uh, relatively good weather year-round. We want to um, use weather ability here to help support uh, ensuring everybody, not just people in our neighborhood, uh, better access to biking and pedestrian infrastructure, because it's a, a real missing opportunity for the city. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. And Commissioner Hodel. Hodel or Hodel? Hodel. Hodel. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a retired school teacher. I retired in 2003 from uh, the Real Linda Union School District that existed at that time. Um, I live in North Natomas representing District 1. And I, I am an avid cyclist. I have a lot of time being retired and have established a group of people in mostly North Natomas uh, who ride their bikes almost every day. I send out an email every Saturday listing all the available rides. Usually there are two different rides every day. There are a variety of ride leaders and we ride in many districts, not just in North Natomas. So have a lot of interest in that infrastructure throughout the Sacramento area. Um, and making it better for everyone, all active transportation people. Wonderful, thank you. Chair, that is my staff report. Great, thank you so much, Jennifer, and really looking forward to working with um, all of our new commissioners. So thank you for introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your interest uh, in this group. Um, 
But before we go on to hear from other commissioners, um, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no hands raised on this item. Thank you. All right, are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? And I see a hand from Commissioner Buenostro. Yes, I'll just be brief. I just wanna send a, a warm welcome to Commissioner Rowe, Commissioner Gibson and Commissioner um, Hodel. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, get, I'll, I'll make sure that I get the last names right. I understand what it's like to to struggle with saying a last name <laughs> because of my last name. Um, but um, just want to give a warm welcome to everybody uh, that's new to the commission and, and excited to be working with you uh, throughout the next year or longer. Awesome. I'm thinking maybe we should add annunciation. Um, <laughs> how to announce we, uh, our names in this script or something that would probably be helpful for everyone. Um, okay, I just had one question uh, for Jennifer um, for the projects and getting updates. Um, are is there like a, a a location that we could recommend to folks to get like up to date information on the progress of each of those projects, or do they each have their own kind of project pages? Westbrook, each project has its own web page within the city's website. Yeah. I, I just tend to reach out to staff before commission meetings to get a, an update so I have uh, good information for you. Um, the Del Rio Trail does have its own email list for construction updates. If, and so if you go to the city website, go to Del Rio Trail, there is a page where you can sign up for construction updates. Um, but you could also check in each, if, if folks, if any of the commissioners or members of the audience have interest in following those, all of the sites have the project manager listed, all the pages have the project manager listed, and you can always contact them and say, what, what is the timeline on this project if you have any specific questions? Although commissioners for a specific, anything beyond that needs to go through staff as a commissioner. Got it. No, that, that's super helpful for thanks for pointing that out out for folks how they can get that information. Um, I think the next question I had was around bike detection. And I know you had made the recommendation um, to use uh, 311 as a way to indicate. Can we request that be added as an option, right? Or is it already, and I, I might have missed it, but um, I think that could be really helpful if it's built into the 311 request uh, options as something, because I know we have like bike racks um, actually, no, that's a request that goes through uh, an online portal. So never mind, we don't have my cards on there, but um, just just a suggestion. Okay, thank you, uh, Chair Duro Westbrook. Uh, we will be, um, there currently is not one, but there yeah. is, uh, 301 has a bike issues or bikeway issues um, category, and that, can be, that comes to me and my team. Um, and so that way, if you report it that way, we will note that. We have run out of funding for that program for this fiscal year, but the new fiscal year starts in July. We wanna make sure that we are prepared and ready um, for that coming uh, up next year. So looking forward to folks sharing that information. Okay, yeah, that's great. Um, for me, how, how much more, maybe, and this is something to maybe follow up for our next meeting, but were, how much more did the request exceed the budget that you all have for that program? 
Um, for this fiscal year, we went over about $20,000, um, and that's because of escalating material costs. Um, and, and we estimate that to add bicycle detection, and this is a rounded number at an intersection, and this is a typical intersection because all intersections are different, is anywhere between forty dollars and $60,000. Um, and so, you know, we, we only typically budget about $100,000 a year for this effort, um, but we want to keep it a good list going. And if there's opportunity to capture that bicycle detection with another project that is happening in the city, we'll, of course, do that. Fantastic. Thank you so much for knowing that information off the top of your head. So yeah, I really appreciate that, Jennifer. Okay. Um, well, if there's no additional questions from commissioners, uh, we can move on to the next item. I know we have a really busy and full agenda tonight. Um, so the next is a, oh, uh, the next item is a council rules and procedures review. And is there a staff presentation? Thank you, Chair. My name is Mindy Cuppy, your city clerk, and I will provide a brief update on the City Council Rules of Procedure. So in November 2022, the City Council updated the City Council Rules of Procedure. Since these rules apply to city boards, commissions, and committees and their members, I'll provide you just a very brief update on the rules. As we continue to uplift commissions to the same expectations, standards, and processes as the City Council, I will continue to make sure you're aware of any updates to any rules that pertain to your service as a commissioner. So the City Council rules of procedure govern all city meetings, City Council, City Council Standing Committees, City Boards, Commissions, and Committees. These rules are intended to transparently communicate clear and consistent rules of procedure and decorum such that council members, commissioners, and members of the public understand procedures so they can effectively engage in the city's inclusive decision-making process. So the City Council rules of procedure cover duties of members. Recognizing the steward of the public interest is the primary concern and working for the common good of the people of Sacramento. Conduct of members, which means put constituents first, treat each other, the public, and staff with dignity, courtesy, and respect. Conduct of the public, listen courteously and attentively to public comment, but make no promises to the public on behalf of your advisory body. Conduct of council with boards and commissions basically says council members cannot participate in your meetings with the purpose of influencing the outcome of your meeting. Meeting agendas, it states that the order of each agenda, so the public knows how to participate, talks about conduct of meetings to quorum and chambers and how the public can participate, including continuing to offer virtual access to the public when the commission comes back to chambers. So some updates of note. Um, this includes how a member of the public can participate in a meeting via teleconferencing platform, platform, excuse me, adds language that prior to an agenda item being brought to the city council, it should be brought to the relevant city board committee or commission, and the staff report should include that recommendation. Clarifies the order of agendas and public hearings. Again, consistency across legislative bodies so members of the public know how to participate. It added that the continuation of a meeting past 9.30 p.m. requires a majority vote of the members present. Added to the purposes of the PNPE, that's Personnel and Public Employees Committee, that it review advisory body annual reports and recommendations prior to them to being submitted to the City Council. It updated Chapter 17 regarding City Advisory Body vacancies and appointments to be consistent with the Sacramento City Code Chapter 2.40. Um, added a provision that all City Advisory Bodies should maintain a log of future items. This is consistent with City Council practices and many boards, commissions, and committees already do this and outlined a standard and consistent process for city advisory bodies to annually report to the council. Okay, uh, my focus will, my um, report will focus on chapter 17, um, which focuses on boards, commissions, and committees. 
uh, vacancies is not a new process, but articulates how, va articulates how vacancies and appointments are made. Um, you guys all went through this, so I don't need to review that with you. So I mentioned future requests for agenda items. So at the end of every meeting, there's typically a, um, a time for commissioners to make comments and ask questions. And this is the appropriate time for to request future agenda items or requests for information so that staff can capture that. So advisory body reports. Um, each advisory body um, will pro provide an annual report to the PNPE committee. Um, I will act as your liaison to, and collaborate with city staff to bring um, those reports forward. And recommendations outside the annual re review process will be coordinated through my office to have them brought before the PNPE committee um, as quickly as possible. So thank you. That concludes my presentation. I'm available for any questions. Thank you so much. Okay, um, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no speakers with their hands raised. Thank you. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? Commissioner Blen Rostro. Hi, and, and uh, please direct me if this is not the right time for, for this question, but um, as we're going back to in-person meetings, um, I'm just confirming that the public will, would still be able to participate via teleconference or, or by phone if, if they wish to, to make comments or participate in the meetings. That's a fantastic question. Yes, they will still be able to. Commissioners will need to be in chambers and won't have the opportunity to participate remotely, but we will continue to offer that to members of the public. They'll either be able to um, call into the Zoom or, um, or dial into the Zoom. And just to clarify, I think you mentioned it, but if a commissioner can't be there in person, then they, they miss a meeting, right? They, we don't have the option to, to be virtual. That's correct. Thanks. Um, I have one follow-up question, and apologies, I'm spacing right now on the name of the committee, but it was the PNMP or PNP? It's the Personnel and Public Employees, and we call it PNPE. Okay. okay. I was like, I, I, I know there's a P in there. Um, okay, so um, you had mentioned we would be working on it, each um, commission going forward. We'll have you know an annual report that we do. And then that report needs to go to them. Are they commenting on the report that we're developing and before it goes to council? I guess I'm unclear of their role in this process. Absolutely. So they will probably comment on that, um, and it'll be more of a dialogue. And then it would go to the city council, um, you know, for probably receive and file. Okay. And is that to help um, ensure consistency amongst all the reports that they're receiving that go to council? Or that's correct. And it, okay. And if there are action items that you're looking to um, move forward, really is a check-in to make sure that you're working on projects or um, that are council priorities. Got it. Okay, thank you for that. Um, my next was on, um, you know, I think we had asked last time, like a, now that we can't form subcommittees, um, and, and if we want to, we need to now go at request um, the mayor and council in order to do so. Um, has there been any kind of um, further discussion on, you know, how, how long that request might take before we receive an answer? 
So for mayor and council. Yeah. So we'll move that forward to the um, PNPE committee as soon as possible. Um, typically, I would say that's maybe a month process, um, two months at the most. Um, I would work with your department staff to find out, you know, what is the requirement, um, what is needed. Um, always ask the question, why can't this be done by the full commission? Um, and then if it's something that cannot be done outside, you know, a commission meeting structure, um, is it more appropriate to have a working group? You know, so they'll walk through all of those questions with you, probably inviting the chair and vice chair um, to present to PNPE along with staff. Fantastic. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, that's, I think that's really helpful background as we're kind of navigating this new process. So thank you for that. Of course. Okay. Any additional questions? And I know our new commissioners, this is all, you know, brand new to you. So <laughs> no worries if you're kind of soaking it all in, um, but it's a good meeting to be at because we're really, um, we've fully made the switch now. So uh, Commissioner Granville. Thank you, Chair. Um, I just had a question about the proof of vaccination. Uh, that is due on February 21st. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. We just need that on file prior to the March meeting, um, but we need a little bit of time to run reports and make sure everyone's compliant. Perfect. Thank you. Of course. It's a good reminder for all of us. <laughs> if you haven't done that yet, I uh, just realized that was coming up uh, next Tuesday. So yeah, make sure you get that in. Um, and yeah, if you have any questions, I think there is a, a point of contact listed on the email we received as well. Okay. Well, no need to belabor this any further. Thank you so much, Mindy. And I believe you are um, the next item as well, um, which is selection of chair and vice chair for this calendar year. Yes, thank you, Chair. Again, my name is Mindy Kepi. I'm your city clerk. And the report before you is selection of chair and vice chair for calendar year 2023. So Sacramento City Code section 2.40170 states that each city board and commission shall elect one of its members to serve as chairperson and another to serve as vice chairperson for each calendar year. A member may serve as the chairperson or vice chairperson for no more than two calendar years. And the chairperson shall be the presiding officer and shall ensure the orderly conduct of the meeting. If the chairperson is absent, the vice chairperson shall act in that capacity. Uh, the chairperson or vice chairperson in the absence of chair is responsible for presiding at all meetings and charged with equally applying rules of conduct, assuring parliamentary, parliamentary procedure is followed, compliance with Brown Act, and that the scope of the work of the commission is accomplished. Rosenberg's Rules of Order outlines parliamentary procedure, and the Sacramento City Code outlines the scope of most city boards, commissions, and committees. The order and conduct of business is also governed by the City of Sacramento Council Rules of Procedure that we just talked about. And the chairperson and vice chairperson shall start their terms at the next regular meeting. So the process typically is any member may nominate a fellow member or themselves for chairperson or vice chairperson. Once a nomination has been made for chair, the legislative body shall vote on that nomination. And it's common practice that the nominations for vice chair shall follow, and the legislative body would then vote on that nomination. A majority of the members present is necessary to pass a motion selecting a chair or vice chair. And I'm available for any questions. Thank you so much. Uh, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no speakers with their hands raised for this item. Thank you. 
All right. Uh, are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? Not all at once. <laughs> all right. Uh, Commissioner Wimostro. So we can make nominations now, right? Oh, yeah. Go all for right. it. So I'll, <laughs> I'll nominate uh, Commissioner Dor Westbrook uh, to be chair. I'll second that. Oh. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, I'll accept that nomination. Uh, but you know, want to leave it open if anyone else is also interested in, in persuading this role. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, Mindy, could you remind us, do we need to vote on the um, each position on their own or can we do it together? It you could do it together, probably easier just to vote on the chair and then move to vice chair. Okay, well then we can do that. Um, all right, so I had a motion from Commissioner Buenrostro and a second for Commissioner Gibson. Um, will the clerk please call the roll for a vote? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute and turn on your video for roll call vote. Um, Commissioner Brazel is absent. Commissioner. Commissioner Buenrostro? Aye. Commissioner Granville? Aye. Commissioner Gibson? Aye. Commissioner Harris? Aye. Commissioner Hopped? Aye. Commissioner Hodel? Aye. Commissioner Rowe? Aye. Chair Dor Westbrook? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes. Oh, well, thank you so much, everybody. Really, it's been an honor uh, being the chair this past year. So really look forward to continuing uh, working with you all. Go, you know. In this capacity and any other capacity, really, regardless of if I'm chair or not. Um, so really appreciate that support. Okay, now we get the fun part of vice chair. Anyone interested? <laughs> I usually attend all meetings, so you have a pretty, <laughs> you know, not to worry. Haven't been absent yet. I'll make a nomination if no one is <laughs> gonna put their hat in. Okay, well. <laughs> oh, Commissioner Ben Rostra, I was gonna nominate you. <laughs> I was gonna respectfully decline if that happened, so no. <laughs> um, <laughs> so just to see if no folks would find, so I'm Did wondering, okay, so I would nominate uh, Commissioner uh, Granville. 
Sure, I'll do it. If if folks are into it. Thank you, Commissioner. I second the motion. Wonderful. Um, apologies, everyone. I'm having um, a bit of, de of a delay, it appears, but I, I think I heard a second from Commissioner Odell. Okay, Odell. great. Thanks. Odell, I am so sorry. <laughs> I will get this right. Um, okay, so uh, with that, we will uh, take a vote. So I have a motion from Commissioner Buenrostro and a second from Commissioner Hodel. Will the clerk please call the roll for a vote? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute and turn on your video for roll call vote. Uh, Commissioner Brazel is absent. Commissioner Buenrostro? Aye. Commissioner Granville? Aye. Commissioner Gibson? Aye. Commissioner Harris? Aye. Commissioner Hopped? Aye. Commissioner Rowe? Aye. Chair Doer Westbrook? Aye. Commissioner Hodell? Aye. Thank you, motion passes. Awesome, great. Well, thanks everyone and look forward to working with you, uh, Vice Chair Grayville. Okay, we are moving along. So the uh, next item, item number six, is the subcommittee on the status of walking and biking. I think we had a really good discussion um, about this report last month. And so I hope our new commissioners had an opportunity to, to review the document and potentially watch um, the uh, recording from last month to get an understanding of what we discussed. Um, but um, over the, the past, um, actually I had about two weeks. So uh, after, the, after the, that meeting took place, I um, revised the letter with comments I heard from you all and tried to make adjustments as best I could um, with the information that was provided. So um, made some minor tweaks and I'd be happy to point those out specifically in the document if that's helpful. Um, but really hoping tonight if there's agreement amongst the group that we can um, approve the revisions that were made and, and ultimately send this uh, to the mayor and council. So um, this item is up for vote, up for vote um, at the end of discussion. So let me, I guess it would be helpful for me to get an understanding from folks if we want to go into a, you know, more of a discussion around the item. I know we spent a good amount of time um, at the last meeting um, where I actually showed the document and, and talked about each of the sections. Um, is that needed or have folks had an opportunity to, um, I guess, obviously you all read it, but just want to see like how much more discussion is needed. And um, and I will go to the public first, I guess, because I'm already seeing commissioners' hands. Um, all right. So, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have one speaker with their hand raised. Okay. Oh, I have two I speakers. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Apologies. I have two speakers with their hands raised. The first speaker is Dan. 
Good evening, commissioners. Um, I support the document as it has been presented and uh, hope that the commission will forward it to the council. And in addition, I hope that the council will take it seriously and act on it. Um, Sacramento is going at a very slow pace and uh, improving the safety and convenience for walkers and bicyclists. And I believe that it needs more attention from the council to accelerate that pace. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Matt. Good evening, Chair and Commissioners. My name is Matt Anderson, uh, District 4. I also want to support this uh, report. I'm excited that more communication with Council is going to be happening, and I also hope that this um, speeds up the implementation of active transportation in the city. Uh, a question and a couple comments. Um, I'm curious whether the um, Commissioners or Chair are going to be able to present this orally to Council, or it was decided that this is going to go um, only as a written report. And then also just a, a comment that it would be really nice to see um, more actionable language in there. I know um, council members and, and other folks appreciate a nice, easy to do list. So, um, you know, something like safe routes to school, it's really important to start a program, but if you could give them specific directions, add one full, one FTE in the 23 24 you know, budget solely dedicated to implementing uh, Safe Routes to School program. I think that would be, uh, as an example, something that would, might be very helpful for them. But all, all around, I want to say a, a big thank you to um, the commissioners and the chair for making this happen and excited to, to see where this goes. So thank you. Thank you for your comment. Chair, I have no more speakers with their hands raised. Thank you. And thank you to both our callers this evening. Really appreciate the support and feedback. Um, Commissioner Hoft. I just wanna say I'm quite happy with the report and I commend the subcommittee for the excellent job on this. Uh, I would wholeheartedly support this report as drafted. Thank you so much, Commissioner Hoft. Uh, Vice Chair Granville. Thanks, Chair. Um, ditto to that. I'm very in favor of this. And I just want to give some kudos to you, Chair, and other members of the subcommittee who put in a lot of work to make this happen this year. Um, and I am also in favor of presenting this orally, uh, <laughs> uh, though I don't know who's going to draw straws for that. Um, so <laughs> I don't uh, I don't know what the process is for that, um, Jennifer, but I'd love to um, get the ball rolling on that. The second thing, or the third thing is, um, you know, this was quite a lift for the subcommittee this year to put this together. And I know we have to turn this again. We're going to do this again this year. Um, so I just want to put in everybody's mind or plant the seed to think about how we can kind of keep track of some of these things throughout the year uh, and whether they're in the log or, or otherwise that we're not kind of waiting until December 15th to try to put this together while we're all going on holiday. Um, and uh, I, I agree that it would be nice to put more actionable, kind of very specific uh, recommendations as a part of the 
uh, of each item. So, uh, but but overall, I think it's great, and I'm I'm um, in favor. And just again, kudos to especially to Chair um, Dora Westbrook. Thank you so much. Um, I saw Jennifer got on camera. If you were wanted to say anything, well, Commissioner Granville asked the question about what the next yeah. steps are, and so Mindy, who just presented as part of the new rules and procedures, said that um, moving forward, her office will be working uh, with with staff and with uh, whoever uh, with your commission on the new reports moving forward, and that those reports would then be presented to P and P E. Um, I'm assuming that this report will go to PNPE and, and then depending on the outcomes, however, move forward to council. I, it looks like Mindy has left the chamber. I think I just saw her walk out. So I'll get confirmation from her um, this week and I will circle back with the commission on next steps. But I think logically we can say PNPE will be the next stop. And that is a commission made up a, a committee of city council members. Thank you. <laughs> yes, that's very helpful because I was like, is this a commission made up of, you know, residents of the city similar to us? I think that's why I was confused. But no, okay, it's made up I, of city council. I believe it's Council Member Lilloe, Council Member Valenzuela, Council Member Maple. And Council and Council Member Kaplan is chair. Great. Council Member Kaplan is chair. Wonderful. So that is the PMPE committee. Okay, so that committee will decide if they want so the council members will decide if the council members want to hear from us at the future. Okay, sounds good. They'll, they'll review uh, and yeah, then it gets forwarded on. It looks like our, our senior deputy city attorney, Wendlander, <laughs> has, has thoughts on this. Kurt, we can't hear you. No. All right, great. He'll call in. Sounds good. Okay, uh, Commissioner Hopped. I would move for approval of the report and forwarding to the appropriate body. Sounds good. Happy to yeah. second. <laughs> Great, thank you so much. All right, so I have a motion by Commissioner Hopped and a second by Vice Chair Granville. All right, will the clerk please call the roll for a vote? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute and turn on your video for a roll call vote. Commissioner Brazel is absent. Commissioner Boyne Rostro? Aye. Commissioner Granville? Aye. Commissioner Gibson? Aye. Commissioner Harris? Aye. Commissioner Hopped? Aye. Commissioner Hodell? Aye. Commissioner Rowe? Aye. Chair Doerr Westbrook. Aye. Thank you. Motion passes. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you everyone for your support on this report and also for all your fantastic feedback um, at the last meeting. I think it was really, really useful um, for this developing this report and ultimately the recommendations that we put forward. So look forward to learning about the new process as we go forward and getting an update. Uh, from Jennifer for next meeting. The next item we have is on the e-bike lending program, which I think is very timely since that was something that we put uh, in the recommendations. And 
page, it's um, the e-bike lending program, Sacramento Electric Vehicle Blueprint, phase two. Is there a staff presentation? There is, Chair. Take it away. Well, good evening, Chair and Commissioners. Uh, my name is Fidolia Harris, better known as Sparky, and I work alongside Jennifer in our Public Works Department, and hopefully she has a copy of my slide deck to present. And I'll wait and see if that happens. I don't. Do you have it available, Sparky? I sent it to Jeff, and I just sent it to you as well uh, via email. So it should be oh. in your box. I don't have my email open. Uh, do you have it, and you can present, or do you need me to present? I could present. Let me open Sorry, that. team. <laughs> no worries. We can make it happen. Here we go. I will share my screen then, and we can make that happen. Let me share my screen. Here we go. Okay, can everybody see that? You're good. Okay, it's a little awkward because now I can't get to my notes, but <laughs> I think I know it well enough. It shouldn't be a problem at all. <laughs> so, um, Again, my name is Sparky Harris with the <clears throat> Planning Works or Public Works Department of uh, the City of Sacramento. And I'm here really just to give you a little bit of background about the e-bike lending program and answer any questions that you might have. So if you'll bear with me, I've got a pretty short slide deck to go through. Um, it shouldn't be too painful. So just to start off with um, the cover slide here, um, this program is a partnership between the City of Sacramento the Sacramento Public Library, and it's funded with a grant, uh, EV Blueprint grant from the California Energy Commission that the city was successful in uh, acquiring back in 2021. Um, and really the crux of this task was, us, was for us to launch an e-bike program, and we're in the process of doing that. Um, we have already acquired 30 e-trikes uh, from a company called Alta Cycling. Uh, we have 10 of them on hand, assembled and ready to go. And we have about 20 more that, well, exactly 20 more that are on order and um, anticipated to be delivered tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Um, we chose these trikes because they seem to be the best fit for uh, all ages and mobility. It's a very stable bike. Um, and the Dirty little secret here is uh, in the application itself, we actually apply, well, in the grant, we told the Energy Commission that we were going to purchase 20 e-bicycles and 10 cargo bikes. Uh, we pivoted because the funding was not adequate for us to actually go after the cargo bikes, which were you know, much more expensive than the funding we had available. So uh, the CEC agreed to us going with these trikes because they had cargo capacity. And once they showed up, we were so happy with them um, that it made sense to change the entire procurement to e-trikes, especially since the e-bikes were on back order because all of them had Bosch parts on them, which um, kind of fell prey to the whole uh, chip shortage that started, I believe a year and a half ago or so. So just a little inside baseball on that one. Um, all of the trikes um, 
are pedal assist as well as thumb drive driven. Uh, they're all governed to 20 miles an hour. Uh, like I said, they're very stable. And within the library, the way that the program is intended to work is any uh, library patron in good standing who's 18 years or old, older with a valid library card um, should be able to check out one of these e-trikes for up to two weeks, really with the goal of putting these bikes in the hands of folks to see how well they fit into their, um, their mobility needs uh, with an eye towards uh, them ultimately making uh, an e-bike purchase if they uh, feel that it really could satisfy a lot of their mobility needs going forward. All of the bikes will be lent with a, uh, a kryptonite cable, oh, sorry, kryptonite chain lock, uh, heavy duty. This is probably the uh, heaviest available kryptonite lock um, that they have. They will also get a rain cover um there was one other thing the lock the cover oh uh, as well as a charger um, because all of the trikes have removable batteries we we thought that that was important um since this program is being launched in one of our disadvantaged communities historically disadvantaged communities with the um, eye towards uh releasing it in other branches within disadvantaged communities we wanted to make sure that we had a vehicle that didn't necessarily have to be carried up and down stairs in order to charge the bike. So all of, like I mentioned, all of these uh, e-trikes have removable batteries that you just take inside and plug in just like, you know, your cell phone or a laptop. So the program will uh, launch initially at the Colonial Heights uh, Library Branch, which is on Stockton Boulevard at 21st Avenue. Um, in anticipation of that, we've installed five uh, secure lockers um, and made sure that we can protect them as much as possible. You'll see some pretty heavy duty bollards all the way around it. Um, these are really uh, intended to help with logistics. The library doesn't have a lot of floor space for us to display bikes. So uh, this really helps us have extra space uh, to pull, um, pull from the fleet when additional bikes are needed and when bikes are returned they can go into the locker so that our maintenance contractor can check them out before they're put back online to be checked out by patrons. And then finally, uh, we have an agreement with a local bike shop. It's called The Electric Bike Shop on um, Broadway out in Tahoe Park. Um, the Electric Bike Shop will, will be responsible for all of the maintenance of this fleet as well as the logistics as, as I just mentioned, when bikes are returned, um, the electric bike shop will check them out, make sure that the tires are pumped, um, the chains, you know, the chain is tight, uh, brakes are working, all of that before they put them back in service to be checked out again. Um, if any bikes go missing, we can call the electric bike shop to go and pick them up. If anyone gets stranded, um, we can also uh, mobilize the, the electric bike shop if needed. But um, this is our first effort at partnering with um, a third party to take care of these logistics. So we will definitely learn as we go with the intent of um, basically expanding to other libraries um, once we 
get some learnings from this first iteration at uh, Colonial Heights. So with that, I will end my presentation um, in anticipation of this program launching in the spring. And I am available to answer any questions that you have. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. All right, um, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have one member of the public with their hand raised. The first speaker is Brian. Uh, hi. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm a little bit disappointed that you're not going to get cargo bikes. Um, and I say that because I have an electric tricycle and they're not very um, nice to ride when you when you know when you sit on it for the first time uh it's not as easy as riding a bike when you're turning corners you have to lean the opposite way to what you're kind of used to on a bike so it takes a new you have to relearn parts of riding a bike to ride a tricycle um so yeah i just think that you know, you know would have been easier to hit your success uh if you're just getting cargo bikes uh so i suggest everyone involved in this you know, take these bikes out as soon as they can and understand what I mean. But uh, also, I'm in a Facebook group called Adult Tricycle Riders. And that, again, what I just said is a very common uh, thread in there. People come on and say, this feels weird. What am I doing wrong? I keep being pulled into the gutter. You know, it's, it's, it's just not the same as riding a bike. So, yeah, just my thoughts. Thank you for your comment. I have no more members of the public with their hands raised. Thank you. All right, we'll now move on to commissioners. Uh, Vice Chair Granville. Thanks, Chair. Uh, Sparky, thanks for the, the presentation. I'm really excited about this program. And um, I'm curious, uh, the funding, from what I understand, the funding is through January 1st of 2024. Is that accurate and is that the same term of the pilot uh that's happening at the city level um so that's my first question what is the pilot term is it matching up with the um, energy commission funding um are there supplemental is there supplemental funding to the energy commission that's supporting this project and then the last question is um what does the funding look like after the pilot? Uh, I think the state loves pilots, but they often don't refund them. So uh, I just wanted to get a sense of what the plan might be uh, for providing that supplemental funding after the pilot program ends. Thank you. Sure, great questions. Um, as for the uh, 2024 date you mentioned that was probably in the original grant application. The CEC has made it clear that um, that date is fungible. So we haven't launched it yet and we are beholden under the grant agreement to actually operate this program for a minimum of two years. So we will do that um, with the funding available. Um, there is no supplemental funding and um, as, far, as far as moving forward, I really take this as an opportunity for us to get this pilot out here, um, show how well it's being adopted by the general public, and then uh, potentially going after future funding 
to continue the program, but all of that is TBD. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, Commissioner Gibson. Uh, exciting pilot program. Thank you for presenting this today. Um, uh, one question I have is what do you look like as a uh, anticipated application process? Uh, is there an online form someone has to go through? And then a second thing to that is how long would the rental process would be um, for if a community member chooses the rent and would there be any um, punitive actions if somebody overstayed their rental? Uh, so thank you. Sure. Um, as far as the application process, uh, they want to make this as, as easy as possible. We're really leaning on the library to do the lending portion of the program. Um, initially, we were talking to them about making these bikes available through a program that they have right now called the Library of Things. That program, unfortunately, is only available at two of their branches, and it doesn't include Colonial Heights. So they'll be doing something similar, but it won't be under that same umbrella, um, but it'll just be a simple checkout, um, just like checking out um, a book or a CD or anything like that. There will be some waiver language that our attorneys are working on right now, but it should not be um, a very onerous process, you know, as long as you are a library member in good standing, um, you understand the um, the liability associated with checking out the bike, um, you should be able to just do that right away. The checkout is for up to two weeks, um, is my understanding at this point, we're still finalize, finalizing all the details. And in terms of punitive actions, that's a great question. We're, we're, we're talking about that a lot. Um, we don't want it to be, we don't want it to become prohibitive for people to check out the bikes because they're afraid of what will happen um, if the bike is damaged or stolen. So we're working with risk, we're working with the attorneys to make sure that we can protect our assets as much as possible without putting undue um, concern on the people checking them out, knowing that this is grant funding, we don't wanna lose the bikes, we don't want them to get stolen, um, which is why we've invested in such heavy duty locks to go along with these bikes. And we will make sure that people know how to properly lock up the bike. Um, and we will have um, some GPS tracking that I would rather not go into extreme detail about um, <laughs> for theft recovery, not for tracking where people are going, uh, but that's a part of the program as well. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, both of you are asking questions that I had on my list too. So <laughs> this is really helpful. Um, Commissioner Rowe. Hi, uh, thanks again for presenting to us today. Um, I have a couple of questions um, building on Commissioner Gibson's question regarding the requirements and the report. I think there was a mention of like a requirement to take a city biking class. Is that still um, being considered or uh, you know, if even if it's not required, will there be kind of classes maybe available so community members can check the bikes out before kind of renting it? Um, so that's my first question. Should I list all of my questions uh, before answering? Okay. No, I'd rather do them one at a time. Okay. Easier for me to remember. <laughs> so I appreciate it. Um, we are leaning towards not making it a requirement. Um, 
that anybody take like an urban bicycle bicycling class, but we know those are available and we would strongly suggest anybody that's going to check it out, do that. That doesn't mean that farther down the road, we couldn't decide that people are really confused about the rules of the road and um, they'd be better off getting, I hate to say certified, but um, you know, basically check the box that they've taken some kind of class just to make sure that they're up to speed on you know, the, all the latest rules and regulations, things like that. But currently um, the thinking is that we would not require it. Got it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it makes sense to not require, um, not require a, the class per se, but I, I do see the value in having like an open house event or where people can check the bikes out, learn how to lock it properly. And especially if it's a trike, it, it might be more difficult for even like experienced bike riders to use. Um, so uh, this is, that's not necessarily a question, but maybe just a, a suggestion uh, from, um, from me. Um, well, if, it, if I could piggyback on that a second, yeah. one thing that we are thinking about is since we have a fleet of 30 of them, we're probably only going to make about five available at Colonial Heights. And we've already considered having um, one or more events where we bring more bikes to the library and have kind of a, you know, ride experience. Just you're not necessarily checking them out, but we'll have all 30 of them available, ride them around the parking lot, see how they feel kind of thing. Um, just so people can experience it. Great. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. So glad to, glad to know you all are already thinking of that. Um, and then I think my um, second question um, has to do with uh, kind of the biking infrastructure around Colonial Heights Library. Um, you know, like Stockton is a, is quite a dangerous place to be biking. Um, and I so I was wondering if the city has also think thought about investing in like uh, even like bike racks around the businesses near the Stockton uh, near the Colonial Heights Library or you know adding improvements in that direct area if people are going to be renting and then like I would assume it would be like you know mostly nearby residents where they can take their bikes you know to their home to their neighborhood um, and so yeah I I know that there's, you know, investments in the bike racks at the library itself, but I was also wondering if there was any thought in invest in doing any improvements around that area. That's uh, a great suggestion. We haven't done, we haven't proposed anything as part of the e-bike lending program, but we have Jennifer Donlin Wyant on the line, so I'm sure she's taking notes about this. She has a very limited um, budget for uh, doing bike racks around the city, so. Um, I'll definitely have the conversation with her. Great. Thank you for the consideration. And we are going to be talking, you know, this year on the um, active transportation, an update to the active transportation plan. So I think there's an opportunity coming up to provide recommendations for locations along Stockton. Um, so yeah, that's great. And then the bike racks, we're going to hear about that next, but we can we can submit those requests ourselves and maybe they'll be considered. So it's another opportunity. Okay. Um, I have a few questions. Oh, I'll let you go first. Uh, Vice Chair Granville. Thanks, Chair. I just have one more question about promotion of the uh, pilot. Um, is that uh, going to be this, the is the public library going to do its own promotion in addition to what the city's doing? 
I imagine you're going to be working with community groups to get this information out to you, but I'd love to hear just some of the plans of how you want to tell the community about it. Those plans are still under development, but yes, um, the city itself is going to do some. We have uh, Valley Vision under contract to do community engagement for all of the tasks under the EV blueprint. So promoting the e-bike lending program will be one aspect that they'll handle. And um, the public library itself will also do its own promotions, uh, but, but will work hand to hand in uh, developing all of those. That's part of the learnings that we're, <laughs> we're putting together right now is we're not sure exactly what's the best way to do this right now. So we're putting together a plan of what we think is best. And uh, one of the interesting aspects of the EV blueprint is um, an equity analysis that we're putting together. So as we develop different programs, we're going to test how well uh, the different programs are being implemented and then tweak aspects of it to see how much better we can um, make the results over time. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for asking that question. Okay, so I have a few and I will just do one at a time. So <laughs> try not to, I think because they're all kind of a little bit different. Um, and apologies if uh, a presentation on this was provided to the ATC prior to, to me being on the group, but was kind of curious if you could share um, the engagement process that the city did prior to selecting the bikes. I know obviously as you shared in your presentation, there had you had to make some adjustments um, because of limitations with Bosch and so forth, but was curious if there was any kind of um, outreach done with residents on like what kind of bikes would be most useful for them. There was not to the best of my knowledge. Um, my management of this program goes back about six months um, so I picked it up sort of midstream. Um, the prior staffer working on it did give me a lot of um, information that he had gathered over time. I can't tell you uh, with confidence that those recommendations were based on community input. I think it was ma mainly um, basically commercial research that he had done on his own in terms of uh, safety and uh, durability and things like that. But yeah, to the best of my knowledge, it was not community driven. Again, oh. to the best of my knowledge. <laughs> Jennifer, you came on. Did you want, was there, you... <laughs> I, Yeah, it, it was a staff member of my team who did the research. Mm -hmm. uh, we, correct, we did not look, um, we did not ask communities members. What we did was did research on like how durable because these are not going to be like personal bikes. We wanted the, the devices to be able to last long. Um, or or the, the mechanics of it, um, the certifications of the bikes, those sorts of things were really key for the success of a, a, a device that's going to be used by a lot of different folks in different environments. That was really key for us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I think that is super important. So really appreciate the time and energy that went into looking to this. Um, I would just maybe ask if, you know, this program is successful, which I really hope it is, um, and, you know, it's expanded upon, that maybe the next phase, there's a little bit more engagement um, with the public on what types of bikes, um, e-bikes we would like to see. I think that could be really helpful. Um, and I know of several cities in California that had a really robust community engagement process 
um, in the development of their e-bike lending libraries. So I think we can look to our partner cities um, on kind of how they went about doing that outreach. Um, you know, we had a caller call in today who was, a, you know, an owner of an e-trike kind of sharing his personal experience. So I think it could be really helpful um, that if we get just a little bit more feedback on like, you know, what are people looking for? Um, I think, you know, when I was doing, reviewing the um, staff report, one thing I noticed about this particular model is the range seems very low, um, only 16 miles, um, which sometimes even with e-bikes, you're using power the whole time, it's even less than that. So I think, um, you know, finding out what the true range is of the bikes from the folks that are renting could be really helpful if it truly is 16 miles, because start to get worried that we're going to have people, you know, barring the bikes that might get um, stranded. So I think, you know, it was really great to hear from you that you have this partnership with a local bike shop to come help people if, if that's the case. But, um, you know, I think um, a, a bike with a little bit more range, maybe somewhere around 50 miles, um, you know, might be a little bit more appropriate, allow people to, you know, go on longer rides on some of our great regional trails that we have here and so forth. So, yeah. Okay, so that's helpful, but appreciate all the work you've done in the past six months. Seems like you're carrying the, the project well. Um, the next question I noticed in the staff report again, um, there was a mention of um, measuring success of the program, mm -hmm. um, as, you know, whether or not it is to continue. Um, could you maybe share what you guys are thinking success looks like for this e-bike program, if, if you've had those conversations? Absolutely. Um, as I mentioned, we, well, we have Valley Vision on board to do um, our community engagement. We also have a firm called AECOM on board to do um, an equity analysis uh, dashboard for all of our programs. So the EV Blueprint um, actually has three main components. It's the e-bike lending program, it's an expansion of um, electric car share in our disadvantaged communities. And it's the um, installation of level two chargers at basically 15 different sites throughout the city. So AECOM has come up with uh, metrics to pretty much measure the engagement of all of those different programs. Um, they put it together in a dashboard so that we can collect data, put it in there, um, see how the programs are progressing over time. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, make adjustments to how we're doing outreach to, um, you know, different ways that we can reach people in order to try to maximize those numbers. So for the e-bike specifically, it would be things like um, the number of, I keep wanting to call them unique users, but uh, new new lenders, you know, as they're finding out about the program, um, is it really just the same people coming back to uh, borrow the bikes over and over again, or is that number of unique users increasing over time? Um, are people using them for the full two weeks or are they bringing it back out, you know, after a week or so? Um, we can also track the number of miles um, based on when they pick it up and when they bring it back to see uh, how long are they really taking them. Um, just all kinds of metrics like that will be in our dashboard. We're still 
finalizing that um, ACOM has come up with a draft final, but I told them to put it on hold until we actually get these programs up and launched and we can collect a few months of data to populate the dashboard um, before we finalize what that looks like. Awesome, thank you. Well, um, I know I personally would be really interested in, in getting a presentation on that dashboard once it's live. Um, so if you could keep us <laughs> um, as a, a group to present that to when it's when it's ready to share, I think that would, would be fantastic. Um, and I think um, if possible, I know in our report to staff, we encouraged um, if you know we were to create our pilot in the electric bike library, which you are doing, um, to also point people to um, existing incentive programs where people can, you know, through the state or I know even here locally with SAC AQMD, um, there are um, I think incentives is the wrong word, and I'm I'm spacing, but um, on what the right word is, but you know, help people purchase electric bikes. Mm -hmm. um, I think that would be really great if that's maybe something that Valley Vision can help with in their outreach um, to community members. I think that would be um, a great opportunity. Maybe it's, you know, a flyer or something that's passed out when the bikes returned um, could be great. So awesome. Thank you so much. I think this is good. I'm going to um, hand over to Commissioner Harris. You have your hand up. I do. And you actually ended up... Um... Sparky answering so many um, of my questions regarding the reporting. So I really appreciate um, the chair asking those questions to prompt it. Um, I, I just, I think you're getting at this, um, but what really strikes me about this program, it's amazing to be able to ride one of these bikes and try it out. But this also has this um, other equally important um, micro mobility um, aspect to it, which you're getting at the multiple users, um, you know, returning back and being able to check these out, um, you know, they can't purchase one themselves. Um, and so I, I don't want us to lose sight of that being a real value. In addition to it being a purchasable item for some people, it is not purchasable for other lower income people. And as we're thinking about these bikes through their life cycle, at some point, this program will change right <laughs> whatever that looks like and if we could be thinking about um, that as a success and what that might look like um, for the communities who might really this might be really changing for them um, even if it only gets them 10 miles um, that could be you know micro mobility is a huge issue in active transportation so I just think it was amazing you answered most of my questions so I just wanted to add that piece that we're thinking about that and that we're not losing sight of that being valuable to certain communities you know, very intensely, you know, it's nothing more frustrating we know than, you know, almost being able to get there. Thanks. Well, <laughs> no, you didn't answer, uh, you didn't ask a question. But <laughs> if I can just elaborate, because something I'm very excited about, it doesn't mean that I can actually accomplish it, but I just want you to know that it's one of my goals is, even though this is a pilot, I always like to start things with an eye towards what it can become. And to me, again, no promises. What I would love to see is that we operate this for two or three years. Um, we find funding to basically replace the fleet, you know, because you don't want to get to the point where you're lending out 10 year old bikes. So before they get to that point where you're just going to scrap them, why not, you know, use 
bikes that have uh, you know depreciated put those in the hands of the residents that have used them come to you know really come to rely on them um, knowing that at that point we can sell them or potential well I shouldn't say that sell them at a discounted price to our residents because we've brought in a fleet of new vehicles and you know kind of create that life cycle um, instead of just saying oh you like it that's great well go to your local bike shop and you can spend three or four thousand dollars to get one um, to me that's not the situation we want to create um, we, we actually want to make uh, something feasible for these you know folks in disadvantaged communities I appreciate you elaborating on that look forward to seeing more thanks mm -hmm. awesome okay Sorry, y'all. Just two more questions and then I promise we'll be on our way. Um, okay, so the first one, and I need to start writing these down because now I'm um, forgetting. Oh, um, reading the staff report, I assumed the entire fleet of 30 bikes was going to this first location. But then in your presentation, I think you mentioned five bikes were going. Um, could you correct me? <laughs> Logistically, we think about five makes sense. There's five lockers. And <clears throat> the way I see it working is that you have one or two bikes in the lobby because um, the libraries really just do not have a lot of real estate for us mm -hmm. to put five bikes on display, which was my initial uh, thinking. So um, we, we kind of retooled and said, okay, let's have five lockers with two on display as those get checked out you can pull a bike from the locker replace that one that's on the floor and then when the bike is returned instead of putting it back on the floor you put it into the locker the electric bike company comes or electric bike shop comes they check it out they check the tires and everything and they basically green tag it to go back on the floor but if you get into a situation where the two on the floor and all five of them are checked out, we can bring even more. So it's not a static number. Um, <clears throat> I just don't see all uh -huh. three of them going out of Colonial Heights, but I would love to have that problem. Uh, okay, thanks for explaining that to me. So it's, you really, you do have the 30 bikes, but what's gonna be at the physical, physical location could range you know, from zero to seven at any time, depending on it. Well, hopefully never zero. You'll just always be filling. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so you'll have, yeah, never zero, but okay, always, unless they're all checked out at the same time, which would be, yeah. which would be great. That would be amazing. Um, okay, and then my, my last question, and then I will pass over to you, Commissioner Rowe. I'm, I mean, I knowing knowing our city and you know seeing how successful share rideables have been, um, I'm already thinking about like, okay, this program is gonna be successful and we're gonna want more and be able to expand. Um, you know, how is is our is the decision on kind of next steps and looking for additional funding gonna take place once this pilot's over, or is the city gonna be actively looking for potential funding sources? um to to expand the program while we're in this uh, cec pilot i can tell you that i'm looking for funding right now um i see this okay. as very successful and um yeah to me it, it doesn't make sense to wait until the pilot is done um, it takes time and effort 
um, for us to get additional grant funding or to even make um, something other than one-time funding available. So we have to start those conversations early. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love, I, yeah, I love that enthusiasm for the program. And um, I'll just know, I think in our, our report we, we referenced, you know, the city of Oakland that's acquired 500 uh, bikes for their e-lending program. So would love to be in competition, you know, with the city of Oakland and, and you know, get that many bikes or, or more if possible. So really glad to see that you're you're looking right now. And, um, you know, we can send you recommendations. I'm sure you know of all the pots of funding out there, but sometimes I'll see stuff come through my email of new funding sources I wasn't aware of. So happy to share. Absolutely. Um, Commissioner Rowe. Hi, um, I just to go back to the reporting um, questions. Um, I was just wondering what kind of information you think um, ACOM or the city will be collecting about the riders themselves. Um, you kind of mentioned like there's like some like ridership info, like miles ridden and like, uh, you know, use how the duration of the use. Um, but will there be any information collected about um, or like maybe a survey of people who have like rented or who've borrowed these bikes? Um, and kind of what communities they reside in, what, um, you know, maybe even like feedback, anything of that nature. Is that in the reporting? That's not in the reporting, but it is a conversation we're having right now. Um, since this is a program that's really focused on equity and our historically disadvantaged communities, we would love to get more demographic information to know who's using these, these bikes, what they're using them for. But at the same time, we don't want to be overzealous with that and actually scare people away from using them. Right. So we're starting off very basic. Okay. Uh, and, and well, on top of that, since we are relying on uh, the library to really do the lending, we don't want to have them, you know, we don't want to require them to go through this onerous process of asking all of these questions when you don't get asked, you know, a, a slew of questions when you check out a book, you just check it out. Um, but, you know, the conversation so far has been, should we really lean on a post-use kind of survey that's just elective um, so that we can get some of that information, but other pieces of information we'll just have at our hands. We will know, um, how long that bike was checked out. We'll know how often it was checked out. It won't be necessarily tied to a person. We'll know how long it was ridden because all the bikes have odometers on them. So a lot of that stuff that really isn't personalized, we will collect, we will analyze, but more of the personal information, we're really interested in getting it. But again, we don't wanna scare people away initially, but that's one of the things that we may um, adjust over time. Got it, thank you. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. Not seeing any additional hands. Uh, thank you so much, Sparky. I think this is a really informative presentation. And uh, as you can tell, we're all very excited to see the pilot launch. So I wasn't expecting all this. So I, I yeah. really appreciate the feedback. <laughs> awesome. Oh, yeah. You can welcome back anytime. We always have lots of questions. So Great. thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Okay. We'll now move on to our last item of the night. Um, and let me get back up top. Okay, it's item number eight, 
City of Sacramento Bicycle Parking Program. Is there a staff presentation? Yes, Chair, there is. Jennifer Donlin Wyant, Transportation Planning Manager. Can you all see the PowerPoint presentation? They can. Wonderful. I am standing in this evening for um, Jeff Gelsma, who is out sick today. Luckily, the, the topic is bike parking, which is uh, my first love. Um, so I'm able to fill in for him and cover tonight. So tonight we're talking about bike parking. You'll see there's a theme. Uh, we noticed in reading the, the status on walking and biking, there were a number of questions that we could readily answer for the commission. And so we brought them to you this evening. The first was in the e-bike lending library and the second one is on bicycle parking. Um, so what I'm going to do tonight is um, do a quick introduction, talk about bike parking in the city, uh, how, what is the process to install bike parking and opportunities and challenges to our program. Um, to start off with, uh, we have what's called our, our, our citywide bike parking program. Uh, and bike parking is installed of one of three ways in the city of Sacramento. It's installed through our program that has limited amount of funding through my team's work. Um, installation on public or private property with new development projects. So it could be a new shopping plaza or a new multi-story uh, multifamily building, um, all of which are required to install bike parking. City code requires that. Um, and then installation by the current existing buildings. So it could be on public property where uh, a property owner says, you know what, I'd like to install my own racks um, on a sidewalk in street. They can get an encouragement permit or on their private property. Tonight, I'm only talking about short-term bicycle parking. Um, they, the city code requires that with all new development, they install short-term bike parking and long-term bike parking. Short-term bike parking is typically a bike rack. It's intended for use for about two hours of time. Uh, Long-term bike parking is uh, installed through development processes of like multifamily buildings um, in an enclosed room or secured space that could include um, uh, a secure parking area. It could include lockers. Um, and serendipitously, we will be moving forward uh, beginning this year with updating the city requirements for bike parking with new development projects. Um, and we'll be looking at uh, long-term bike parking through that effort as well as short-term. Before we get into uh, a, a lot more, I wanted to let you know that in 2017, the city adopted uh, standards for design and placement of, of bike parking. So the rack type and how it's placed was based on the APBP or the Association of Pedestrian and Bicycle uh, Essentials of Bike Parking. Uh, I actually worked on that at APBP in the version before that. So I have a, a lot of history on the requirements for bike parking. Ultimately, we went with at the city of Sacramento, three styles of parking that were chosen for short-term bike racks uh, that fit most types of bicycles, um, whether they be a tricycle, uh, a cargo bike, or, you know, uh, the European style bike. Um, we have how they're placed in the right-of-way near destinations. You know, how far should it be from a fire hydrant, curb ramp, a tree, um, those sorts of things. I encourage everybody to know and love it. It's an exciting document. Uh, here is an excerpt of it. So you can see here on the left, these are the types of racks that are allowed in the city of Sacramento. They allow for two points of contact. They allow for locking the frame in your wheel um, so that you can keep your bicycle secure. These are the types of bikes that are not allowed to be installed in the city of Sacramento through a permitting process. If a private property owner wants to install them on their own property, we don't have regulation around that. But if it's a new development, 
or if it's in the public right of way, these are not allowed. For the wave rack, because you can't keep your bike very steady, can't really use the middle. School yard rack is not really great for locking your bike. It just keeps your wheel in place. Same thing with the wheel well. Coat hangers, those don't work great for bicycles that um, have the wider handlebars or a basket. That's one of the things we think about when we identified what type of rack style. We wanted to make sure that if you had panniers or you had baskets or you had wider handlebars, um, that you were able to lock your bike um, securely. So these are not approved types and these are the approved types. And so we have three different funding sources uh, for bicycle parking. The first is a recurring one, which is about $60,000 a year traditionally. This $60,000 a year comes from Measure A or the existing Measure A funding. Um, and we use that, that covers um, staff time to go out and identify locations for us to purchase the racks and for um, the, our, our crews to install the racks. Generally, each parking space costs about $400 between uh, labor and materials. Uh, so that's the first source. The other source that we have for bike parking uh, funding source is shared rideables. So the, the companies that come in for the shared bikes and scooters, we charge a 10 cents per trip. And then we use that money to install parking based on where there is demand uh, from the shared rideables. We also received at one time uh, source of funding from SACOG, which is our regional uh, MPO or Metropolitan Planning Organization, who manages the regional bike share program. We receive that uh, in support uh, for the bike share. Uh, we also, oh, hold on, I'm trying to think I hit it. Okay, so it's a couple of different types of bicycle parking. First, there's bike parking on sidewalks. Traditionally, it's installed in the what we call the furniture zone uh, between the curb and where the pedestrian through space is. Uh, we want to make sure that when we install it, that we're ensuring that it's accessibility for people who use assistive devices. Uh, so that's something we think about as we're installing the bike racks and our, our standards uh, require that. We also have bike corrals and these are on street spaces where we either have taken over space where it could not be for a car parking uh, park car, or we remove on street car parking and put in we remove one on-street on car parking space and replace it with up to 10 bicycle parking spaces. Um, it generally consists of several racks together. Um, it, one of the challenges we face with the on-street spaces is that the gutter area that's right next to the curb that needs to be maintained and swept regularly. And that is because that's important for the water flow, particularly during our rainy season. And so we need to uh, have an agreement with the adjacent property owner that they'll agree to maintain and sweep the leaves. Um, we have looked into how much it would cost to hire contractors as part of our landscape crews to and sweep those. We have so many, the costs were well beyond the affordability of our budget. And as I said, we have $60,000 a year approximately for bike parking and it exceeded that $60,000 a year. So we're still requiring that we have a partnership with the adjacent property owner for them to maintain that. Um, and we go through this process with them. Usually it's a, um, something that the property owner requests. And then we have also drop zones. So as we had more shared bikes and scooters, uh, what we started out with, with a handful of these are, we have a lot more now, they're painted spaces 
for the self-locking bikes and scooters. We often couple them with bike racks. And so the bike racks are generally intended for users of private bicycles and that the shared rideables go in these painted zones. And each painted zone is, is evaluated to ensure that the devices in it are not causing an accessibility challenge for people using uh, assistive devices. And they vary by size, depending on where they are in the available right of way. And so the process for installing bicycle parking can happen a couple of different ways. Um, residents or businesses can fill out our form. It's on our website, sacramentobikes.org, and say, you know what, the intersection of Freeport and Second Avenue um, it would be a great place to have bike racks. We'll go out and our team will evaluate at no cost. And if it's feasible, we'll put it in there. Um, a business can sponsor a corral or an on-street uh, location. We've had from, you know, plant shops to coffee shops, um, the whole range of folks uh, and organizations willing to support an on-street corral. And then we also look at demonstrated need. Um, for new commissioners might not have seen our, our review of shared writables and the data that we collect. Um, shared writable data, uh, we collect trip starts, trip ends, and where activity is happening. So we look at that data and see where there are hotspots of activity, and we overlay our layer of bike racks to see, oh, maybe there's a hotspot of activity, but there are no bike racks. Um, so we'll go out and evaluate that. Uh, we also, our parking division issues parking citations for shared rideable devices that are blocking sidewalks or accessible paths of travel. We'll look at that citation data and see, are there bike racks available? Can we provide them to ensure better compliance? So we look at all of that. And then, of course, staff recommendations, because quite frankly, all of my team bicycle. And so we're out on in the city uh, seeing areas of need um, and want to make sure that we uh, are meeting our community's needs. So in case you didn't know, we have over 7,500 bike parking spaces in the city. We were very fortunate to have an intern a couple of years ago. And a big part of their job was to inventory all of our publicly available bike parking, not the ones that are in apartment buildings, obviously, but ones that you can see from the sidewalk. Um, we have installed over 890 parking spaces since 2020. And that's an average 350 parking spaces a year. And that well exceeds our normal budget. That is due mostly to the infusion of the SACOC funding, but we have been installing a lot of bike parking throughout the city. We've installed 41 drop zones, which is on an average of 41 per year. Um, and so, uh, I'm sorry, 14 per year. 41 total, sorry, mixing up my numbers. Uh, 41 total, 14 per year. Uh, and the drop zones are, are slightly less expensive than the grouping of bike racks, but not significantly more because a big part of the cost is labor. So regardless, our team has to go out, we have to identify it, cite it, and then our crews have to go out and paint it. Um, but they're also still a great solution. Some of the challenges we face with um, identifying locations of bike parking is available space or what we call right of way. Uh, this map that you see here is a, a map of the locations in the city where our sidewalks are wide enough to ensure a pedestrian through zone and to also include bike parking. So you, you might say, well, Jennifer, that's not a lot of red that I'm seeing here are places where we can have a pedestrian through area and bike parking on the sidewalk and you're right. And so that's some of the biggest challenges we face. So we, we have most of our bicycle parking up, about 4,000 of our 7,500 spaces are on the grid right here. And that's because it's also the low hanging fruit. Some of the easiest places for us to install bike parking. When you get to other areas, 
the available space for us to install racks has been challenging. Another challenge that we face is that we don't have a lot of businesses willing to adopt the on-street corral and maintain that sweeping. Uh, we do approach them uh, and we're, we'll welcome any business that wants to sponsor one, but uh, not a lot of businesses want to take on that. And then, of course, the maintenance requirements, the drainage requirements, ensuring that it's kept clear so that water can flow through. So opportunities for increasing bike parking, these are things that we look at. So we look at the neighborhood destinations. Um, in our neighborhoods, many of these places have a narrower sidewalk, maybe four to five feet wide, which means it's not wide enough for a bike rack. And it may or may not have on-street parking. And so that's been our biggest challenge. If you think about getting bike racks in Tahoe Park, Oak Park, in North Sacramento, or down in Meadowview, we don't have easy real estate. So what we've been doing is pivoting a little bit, looking at our libraries, our parks, uh, and our retail centers if they have wider areas. Um, we've been trying to engage with property owners and property improvement districts to bring more corrals and to see if they're willing to sponsor more on-street uh, parking that they could sweep. And the other thing that we're doing is we're, we're researching, and we cannot promise this will work out, but what we're doing is we're researching the possibility of the city installing bike racks on private property to increase options with areas of limited right-of-way, uh, particularly in our underserved and under-resourced neighborhoods where there isn't a lot of space uh, in the public right-of-way for us to install. And maybe we have struggling commercial retail centers or neighborhood commercial. Can we support them by providing bike parking? There are a number of issues that need to be worked out, such as, is it a gift of public funds? Can we do that? Um, who has liability for our crews if they go in on private property and they install bike racks? Um, other questions could be, um, are we giving them the racks or are they our the city racks that then we are have the responsibility to maintain? So these are all the questions that we're going through right now, but it is something that we're interested in to see if it's a possibility. Uh, one of the examples I like to say is Talek Village in Tahoe Park. Um, that is not an area where staff can install bike racks but it's a destination and it could be a destination. Uh, and how can we support those, those local businesses um, and get folks who, who want to go there and want a bicycle um, to get donuts or get a beer uh, to, to park their bikes. So we're looking and thinking about those sorts of things. And we want to hear from you. So let us know uh, the form to request bike parkings at sacramentobikes.org. Um, and we also know, we've heard, that um, the shared bike and scooter companies might be over deploying to certain bike racks and or groupings of bike racks and that you using your private bicycle don't have anywhere to park and get there. Please let us know. Let us know through 311. We did do an evaluation that we're working through right now on our bike parking inventory and the deployment of shared rideables and whether or not those deployments are taking over more spaces that are available than the bike racks, because we want to make sure that the bike racks are available to both people who are using scooters, shared scooters and bikes, but also to the biking population with their own bikes. So please let us know if you see that and let us know through 311. And with that, that is my presentation. That is not my email, but you have my email. It's on the staff report for different items and I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Appreciate you stepping in for Jeff. Um, all right, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no members of the public with their hands raised. 
Thank you. All right, are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? And I see a few, uh, Commissioner Harris. Thank you, Chair, and thank you, Jennifer. Great presentation, very informative. Um, still so much information there. Um, I, I really appreciate the information and the approach you guys are looking at um, for areas where there isn't sufficient space and looking at that um, private um, uh, <laughs> private land partnership type opportunities, um, whatever those might end up looking like. Um, I don't know if I missed it um, or if it wasn't considered and, and I'd be curious to know if it was considered and if what you had done to rule it out if it was not considered or ruled out um, for a grant program um, so that you know there's a, a partnership element and people love getting stuff for free and also um, <laughs> that portion of it um, to get more interest and if there was any conversations um, about dealing with it in vacant properties specifically, um, if that changed anything, that's my questions. Commissioner Harris, fantastic questions. Um, we had thought about like creating a grant program that businesses could apply um, and then help manage the, the, the process, but we didn't want to create another piece of work for our struggling businesses to have to do. So instead, what we just thought would be best, uh, happy to take comment on that, is just we would approach neighborhood commercial centers, other places, and say, hey, do you want this? So being a little bit more proactive and maybe even potentially working with their Office of Innovation and Economic Development on that. Um, and then we haven't thought about um, vacant parcels. Um, I'm not sure the process that we would go through that, but we can definitely re bring that up with our city attorney's office. Can, can I just make one follow-up question, comment, or um, a piece because of if they're vacant properties, then, you know, who are you dealing with? Um, a partner in that might be like the redevelopment um, areas. Like I know North Sacramento, Del Paso Boulevard has one, and I'm sure there's many other that might be interested in, in facilitating that. So Absolutely. something to consider. Yeah. I appreciate Thanks it. Thanks so much. Thanks, uh, Commissioner Gibson. Sure, uh, thank you for the presentation. I can't, couldn't help but feel um, happy that we're seeing an increase in number of bike spots, but if there's roughly 7,500, that's still less bike parking than there was car parking at the old Arco Arena. So um, just a, a reminder about a long, long way to go, especially in my neighborhood where looking at the map right now, it is very sparse. Um, but I understand, you know, there's obviously a lot of considerations when the new uh, parking goes in. Uh, I have a few different questions. Um, one is, you mentioned you're reevaluating the design standards for new development uh, when it comes to bike parking. Um, I know that's an extensive process, but you can be brief on this. What is the current design standard for new developments um, that take place for bike parking? So uh, Commissioner Gibson, I'm really excited for this and we will bring this before you when we get rolling on it. And uh, so what we, we, the city of Sacramento currently requires different thresholds for short-term bike parking and long-term bike parking from new development projects. The short-term bike parking is the same standard that we must apply and they usually they install it on sidewalk. Um, and it has to be so many inches for fire, you know, fire hydrants, all that. For long-term bike parking, there isn't a lot of clarity on what the design is. Um, and it, say, it says this must be an enclosed area. What we'd like to do is provide a little bit more clarity around that. 
One of the things we like to say is controlled access. What we'd like to say is that not every bike rack should be a hanging bike rack because not everybody can lift their bicycles. Some folks have cargo bikes that are longer that can't be lifted. We'd also like to have consideration for e-bikes as Sparky just talked about in his program, right? E-bikes are incredibly popular. I love my e-bike. I want to make sure that folks have the ability to charge their e-bikes in the long-term parking that is being provided. So making sure there are outlets available. So those are some of the things that we're thinking about. We will bring this before this commission as we kick off that work. We haven't started that yet, but those are just the thoughts that we brainstormed uh, and making sure that um, the rates of bike parking spaces make sense. Um, and not just for now, because these new development projects will stand for 50 plus years. So for our goal of how many parking spaces we're gonna need when we have a fully built out bicycle network and our, our number of people biking increases. Yeah, I just took a quick look at the bike map, and I didn't realize there was only probably 10 bar bike parking spots for the Natomas Crossing uh, Mega Shopping Center, so over there. And I also appreciate the standard about not lifting the bike. Um, as somebody who threw out my back lifting a 10-pound baby this week, um, you know, I can imagine trying to lift a 20, 30-pound bike uh, daily. Um, uh, speaking of kids, one other question I had was on finding these locations. What is, is there a formal engagement process for schools? Um, I uh, know that, you know, I, I work in Davis, but I've lived in Sacramento a long time. I, I see little kids biking all the time whenever I drive to town. So is there a formal process for engaging schools for installing bike parking? There's not. You would probably need to check with the schools because that's a whole completely different entity from the city of Sacramento. I know that we have re received requests from parent champions who lead things like bike buses uh, to for groups of kids to bicycle to school to get bicycle parking at schools, but that's not something that we can do at this time. And so generally for schools, you have to work with the school district or the school principal. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. All right, Commissioner Rowe. Hi, thank you for your presentation again. Um, uh, I have a couple of questions. Um, so for the bike, parking outside the central city um what i mean what are the main date like what are the main um information or data you all use to decide where to wait or where to create that bike parking i, I know um during the rep, the rep presentation i noticed you um included that uh the shared bike data is is used to determine kind of central city locations but for places outside the central city, um, kind of what information do you all use to determine which um, areas need or Good can? question, yeah. Okay. So I think it depends, Commissioner Rowe. Um, so one, the shared rival data actually expands quite far outside the central city. While the hotbed of activity is the urban core, um, there is a lot of activity, for example, on Del Paso Boulevard for shared rideables, into Oak Park, uh, South Oak Park, Southland Park. So we use that data, absolutely. Uh, we also uh, rely on community responses. People tell us where they would like to see bike parking. We look at uh, parks. We look at um, areas where we have sidewalks that are wide enough using that map that I showed you with the red areas. And then our intuition as people who also bicycle in the city of Sacramento and say, well, where will places likely be like meeting rooms? Is there a community park that has a, commu a park that has a community meeting room? Can we pro pro 
bike parking there. Um, those types of things. But we're always looking for input from folks who are also in the community and who bicycle or who'd want to bicycle and are unable because there's no bike parking where they're going. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, and my other my other question has to do with like the bike um, like business partnership program. Can you talk about uh, how long that process is and um, like how much like maybe like administrative burden it takes for businesses or is it you know relatively quick and easy? Um, just trying to get an understanding of that uh, process. Absolutely, Commissioner. So it's, it's I think, relatively easy in terms of anything working with bureaucratic city government. I think this is relatively easy. So either they approach us or we approach them and we say, hey, would you like some on-street bike parking? Um, then we go out and we evaluate. We work with our parking division. We do all the, the legwork, right? We work with the parking division. We say, do you need this parking space? Can we steal it for bike parking? Um, and then the requirement on the business is pretty simple. We ask them to sign a piece of paper that says that they will promise to sweep it and to keep it clear and free of debris and to let us know if it gets vandalized because then we will come out and, and clean up that whatever it was, spray paint or tagging or whatever it might be. So it's relatively easy uh, for the businesses um, to administer. Got it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, just one last question. Um, how, how many... Um, Sorry if you mentioned this. How many bike parking spots can be funded out of the total annual budget per year? Or I, I maybe didn't. in 2022, um, can yeah. you give a total? Yeah. So we typically budget about $60,000 and it's anywhere between four dollars and $500 per space. So it's about 150 bike parking spaces per year. Now we have additional funding that is um, inconsistent. So we also receive 10 cents per trip for every shared rideable trip. And that varies based on the year. In 2020, it dropped significantly. We had very few trips. 2021, we're building back up again. And so it's hard to determine and we don't spend that money until we have it. So under our current budget, I confidently say that we're able to install 150 spaces per year. Um, although we've been doing a lot more than that, as you can see over the last couple of years, we have the SACOG funding as well. So it fluctuates. Got it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for those questions. All right. I have a couple for you, Jennifer. And thanks for um, clarifying the budget. So there's $60,000 or $60,000, yeah, of existing budget, but then also the, the 10000 that you get or 10 cents that you get um, per ride. I was under the assumption that the that 10 cents per ride was being like lumped in with, sorry, I'm not communicating this well. <laughs> um, I guess I was assuming that it was one pot of funds. I, I wasn't seeing them as two separate. So yeah, thanks for, for clarifying that. Um, okay, so my first question, and I have a few, but I'll just ask one at a time, um, is on the drop zones and um, how you all have been seeing those working over the past few years. Um, or if, you know, if there's any uh, changes um, that might need to be made just to like further educate people on the use of the drop zones. Um, and I ask because when I'm riding around the city, I, I will often see them empty. Um, and so I'm not sure if people are quite making the connection of the purpose of them yet and are still going um, to the racks. Um, and I guess one uh, thing that might be happening is when you use a shared rideable, 
it actually asks you to lock to a rack. It doesn't ask you to put it in a drop zone. Um, so I'm wondering if maybe there's any um, coordination that can be done with the share writable companies to like also include language around drop zones uh, so that folks know that that's an option. But just kind of wanted to hear from you if you think the drop zones are working or um, whatnot, because I know they're a little bit cheaper. Yeah, I do, Westbrook, that's a great question. So I think the I think they're working pretty well. I think there's obviously room for improvement um, and room for education. Um, the biggest challenge that we hear about and that we see is not so much that the you or I using a shared rideable and filling up the bike racks, but more so the deployment by the companies and filling up the bike racks. Um, so that's something that we're trying to curb. To, to get to be a little bit better. Um, and so we are having a number of conversations about these deployment practices with the companies and trying to, to get a better outcome. So I think that's the first piece. I think the second piece is the, I agree on the messaging from the companies is inaccurate. So they tell the users when you're ending a trip, you must lock to a bike rack. First of all, you don't need to lock to a bike rack. You have to lock at a bike rack. And we are really clear in that language when we develop city code because we will require that locking mechanism for shared writables to ensure that they can be stable. We also want the ability for somebody to move that device if there's no available parking and I need to lock my bike to that. Um, so this like the nuances of parked at or parked to two, uh, that's really important. And we want also our operators to have better education to their members. I can't reach their membership, but they can. Um, and quite frankly, government is not so great at getting the word out on these sort of things, and the companies will do a better job of that. So we want that burden to be on the companies. Um, we are going through a process right now of revisiting our regulations around shared writables, and this will be one of the things that we're going to be focusing on, is a requirement for better education to their members to get the outcomes we want. I'll say it's better than it used to be, still not perfect. Uh, we definitely want to make sure that the parking spaces are available. Um, for users of private bicycles. Great. Yeah, thank you for so, so much for that. Yeah, there's definitely a nuance in the language <laughs> that's used. And I think, I think a lot of folks are, um, you know, rightfully very concerned about a fine that they might uh, receive if they don't walk properly. So I think that's why it's still still happening. But yeah, um, I, I know when you all came and presented to us on the overparking, almost feels like a year ago, maybe it was less than that. Uh, yeah, too, it's been a while. Um, in my experience, it hasn't improved, but you know what? I have limited, you know, areas that I visit. So maybe for other folks, it's it's gotten a little bit better. But yeah, I think we can continue to work work with them. Um, and uh, you have our support. If you, there's any letter that we can send to these folks just to let them know that we would really like to see things improve. Um, okay, my next... Um, and I think you talked about this a little bit, but um, for the corrals um, that are on public right-of-way adjacent to a business, um, being kind of like a, a, a little bit of the responsibility of the business to maintain, um, I don't know, I kind of I kind of have an issue with that. I think um, it's, you know, it's a public bike parking location and we don't ask business to maintain parking lots. Um, and so I, I kind of see, like, why are we asking businesses now to maintain public bike racks? Um, and kind of the, uh, some discrepancy there. So wondering, you know, if there's, um, 
yeah, any way that we can kind of change that? Because it just seems a little bit odd. You know, we have public parking lots that I'm, I'm sure city staff goes out and maintains on a regular basis, making sure there's not debris and other things. But just think that, you know, if, if we're going to be providing this service for folks who drive um, and, and not putting additional burden on business to maintain those lots, we shouldn't be then asking businesses to maintain bike parking if that's what we're trying to do. So wondering if, you know, I don't, we could just kind of be thinking about how um, the city can actually take a little bit more ownership of maintaining the corrals um, instead of, you know, asking businesses to do that. Here, do whisper. We looked into that because I, I also agree that it's uh, inequitable in a, the approach. Um, however, the way that we're structured is that we the the gutters must be kept clear, and we tax property owners for sweeping of the gutter, and we use our street sweepers. That's how we keep the gutters clear, right? Um, and we can't use our street sweepers where we have the bike racks. And so we don't have a function in order to go out and sweep those. And we don't have the, as it is, our, our funding for the teams that sweep is under-resourced. They don't have enough funding to actually get to all the sweeping that they need to. And so um, then that sorts of funding isn't there. The other places where we do do maintenance of the public right-of-way is the lighting and landscape areas. Um, but that, again, is a self-taxation of the property owners who agree to self-tax themselves, and then we provide those services. <clears throat> so we did look into that, and, and then we also looked into, well, what would it cost for us to take the same confirms? We actually got three quotes uh, who do other landscaping maintenance work in the city to come and look at our, I forget how many on-street corrals we have, to look at those and like clean them every three to four weeks, maybe more often during leaf season where we have our biggest issue. And it wound up being more than $60,000 a year to maintain. And that was our current budget. And so we haven't been able to, as a staff, try to find solutions to this issue. And we were unable to within the structure that we have and the funding that we have, but are also aware that it is a little inequitable. Okay. Well, I appreciate you expanding upon that and definitely doing your due diligence <laughs> um, and research there. Um, think this is, you know, something for us to think on as a commission, you know, if we want to get more specific with our next report, I think this could potentially, sounds like could be an opportunity for us to make a specific ask to help fund this program that, that Jennifer was mentioning. So um, good to know that you've already done a little legwork and actually have a cost associated with what it would take to maintain um, some of these corrals. Um, yeah, because I think that was, you know, something I was looking for. I, I noticed in the staff report language around um, lack of businesses willing to adopt bike corrals um and I just think that's a real bummer you know if if, if they're not willing to solely because you know obviously they have a business to maintain and don't have um time or capacity to go out there and sweep um for you know not making it easier for folks to bike to these locations so um yeah I think anything we can do to just um you know have the city maintain the bike racks the same way that we maintain other facilities would, would, would be great. But yeah, thank you so much for enlightening me to the work you've already done, which I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I think, I think that's good. This was a really thorough presentation. So really appreciate um, you again, stepping in for Jeff and, and giving us an idea about what to expect um, for some revisions to 
bike parking standards in the future. So looking forward to that. Is there any additional questions from folks on this item? All right, I'm not seeing any. Again, this was received and filed, so we don't need to do a vote. Um, the next item is member comments, ideas, questions, and is there any commissioners who wish to speak? Commissioner Rowe. Hi. Um, this might be maybe an informational item to have at a later hearing. Um, but I would like to request um, like a presentation on the city's efforts in trying to stick clear leaves in bike lanes, um, or maybe just like a maybe informational item on kind of uh, leaf cleanup in general and how that impacts um, bicyclists. Um, I think that is, uh, I, I mean, I was thinking about that during the bike, uh, bike parking issue, um, kind of as we were talk, just talking about um, but I think it is a huge safety issue, um, and I think there needs to be maybe perhaps like more creative solutions about how to how to deal with leaf cleanup through the fall and winter months um, while preserving safety of both pedestrians, cyclists, and drivers. Commissioner Rowe, if I may interject, um, this is your first meeting, so for all new commissioners, um, the way to request an item to be on the agenda is to request it to be on the law, which Mindy highlighted earlier. However, we've set some framework around that for this commission, and there you can look in the staff report under our existing commission log for that framework, but I'll, I'll, I'll share it right now so everybody knows. Um, I need uh, the specific, I need a very detailed specific question. You can follow up with me after because you've mentioned here, but I need the question to be very specific in the objective so I can bring in the right people and have them have the right um, question answered. You have to explain to me how it falls under one of the seven official duties of the commission, which is also listed in the commission log. And then also, um, if you have not seen already, but I'm pretty sure I emailed it to everybody, the commission adopted a statement on equity. And I need a in order to put it on the log, I need your understanding of how your request connects to the statement of equity. Uh, and we ask that you do that so that it's not staff's interpretation of your question and your need, but that it is yours and we can accurately capture it in the log. When I get that information, what I then do is I will add it to next month's log if I get it within two weeks. And then it will be approved as log at the next meeting. And then the following meeting is the me earliest meeting for which we can present that. Um, and I'm happy if to go over that again, but I also encourage everybody to look at that um, in the, uh, the log item. Um, and Commissioner Rowe, if you want to email me that information over the next two weeks, I'll, I'll be sure to add that to the log. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we've, we've had many elite discussions <laughs> in the ATC, and I think one of the, the main things we always hear is 311-311-311. So let's <laughs> continue to do that, uh, folks, if you're not already, for leaf piles, which are real hindrance to folks biking, especially when they're put in the bike lane. Um, okay, don't see any additional commissioner hands. Um, the last item is public comment, matters not on the agenda. Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on public comments? Matters not on the agenda. 
Thank you, Chair. I have two members of the public with their hands raised. The first speaker is Brian. Hi. Um, I was trying to find information on the Two Rivers Trail, the uh, new bike trail that's due to go in around River Park. And uh, the best I could find on the city website is that it's due to start in spring. So first off, I was wondering, is there anything more concrete anybody knows? But I did find then on the riverparksacramento.org website, it says the design changed such that the paved trail will no longer go under the railroad, creating a gap in the trail. Um, I don't know why there's going to be a gap in the trail and can we do anything to stop there being a gap in the trail, please? Thank you. Thank you for your comment. The next comment I have is from Matt. Good evening, commissioners and chair. Um, try and keep it brief. Uh, first of all, just on the previous item, I doubt it would be feasible in our current structure, but it would be really cool uh, if you could give businesses a, a tax break who install bike corrals um, based on the reduction in uh, sweeping services. I imagine there'd be a much higher uh, uptake in uh, that program if that happened, but uh, just a thought. Uh, two two quick questions for um, I don't know commissioners or staff, uh, but I'm I'm wondering if the city of Sacramento does bicycle counts uh, outside of the SAB accounts, and if they do, where they're published. Um, and then also, I know a ton of the uh, cameras around the city have bicycle detection, and I'm wondering if those detection rates are collected and used for anything. Um, potentially, you know, could be used as a proxy for bicycling rates, even though that wouldn't be perfect. I'm really just trying to find ways to get more hard data on uh, bicycling rates in the city and would love to hear what the city is uh, doing about that. Thanks very much. Thank you for your comment. Chair, I have no more speakers. Okay, thank you so much. I think those were both uh, very good questions uh, from both the callers. I think the first in the river river trail, uh, maybe Jennifer, this is something that uh, we could follow up on just to make sure that the project website uh, has the most up-to-date information on, on where that project is. Um, and then the, the gap in the trail, if I remember correctly, that was due to um, challenges with Union Pacific and the underneath the bridge being there right away, but um, the presentation was a few months ago, so <laughs> I could I could be wrong uh, on the, on that point. Here I do a rest for, yeah, this, the team that is working on the Two Rivers Trail presented in April of 2022, um, so I encourage folks who have questions about that gap to review that presentation. Um, because yes, you're, you're correct, Chair. We have encountered challenges with the Union Pacific Railroad, and so it has jeopardized our funding uh, with the delays. So we're moving forward with the trail, um, but are unable to do that, that gap underneath there. However, we, with the next phase, we're, we're going to continue to work with Union Pacific 
to resolve those challenges. And with the next phase, our goal is to complete that gap under the rail. Great. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Was the next um, phase something that's in the transportation priorities plan on it? Or is it have you all, wow, sorry, mumbly. Um, have you all already sought funding for the next phase? Here to do a rest book, we in fact have received money uh, funding from Assemblymember McCarty uh, to start working on the next phase. So um, we have a challenge with staff capacity right now, um, but it is in the hopper uh, for moving forward. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So we will very likely get a presentation um, on that effort once it's moving forward. But then, yeah, thanks for, for plugging the April 2022 meeting if you want to get the full presentation. I think it was is really useful. He walked through um, each phase of the project and where it was at and so forth. So, yeah, thank you so much. Um, love the idea around a potential tax break. So something to think about uh, consideration. Um, and then as far as bicycle count data goes, um, that was a recommendation that we put in our um, report to make that information more publicly available. So I think that is something that um, we can work with city staff on to see if that's possible to share that information and, and how to make it more accessible for, for the public. So I uh, appreciate the caller uh, making that suggestion. All right, I'm getting noticed that my internet connection is unstable. So I think now is a good time to conclude uh, tonight's meeting. Thank you so much, everyone. And I look forward to meeting in person next month. Have a good evening. The meeting's adjourned.